The Bible reading uh, for, today, for today comes from Luke 19, 11 to 27, and it's the parable of the ten miners. While, the, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten miners. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subject hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put the money in, on, in deposit so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And those enemies, enemies of mine who did not want to be, me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Tom. Tom's going to bring the word, but first, if I, if I may, I, I'd love to pray for you. Mm. Almighty God, you are a gracious God. And we praise your holy name. Thank you, Father, that we have freedom to come here and to worship you. And we lift the name of Jesus. Father God, I pray by your spirit you will fill Tom now, Lord. May the words that come from his mouth be as like a, like a spear to us, Father God. And it will stir us. Stir us to bring glory to you, Father. Bless this man and bless our hearing, Father. Amen. Thank you, Tom. Hello, can you hear me? The usual test. Right, let me get my Bible out and my notes on display. Excellent. Oh, thanks for having me back. I love going to the entertainer. Uh, put your hand up quickly if you've heard of the entertainer, if you've been in an entertainer. Oh, wow, two hands. Excellent. This is going well already. The Entertainer is a retail shopping chain filled to the brim with toys and games. It is a kid's shop. It is, the, it is, it is like Toys R Us. Please tell me that one's familiar at least. Okay, good, good, great. 
it's just like Toys R Us, except it's still going and it's still running. In fact, the entertainer, as a shop, is expanding. It started in the 1980s for a couple in Buckinghamshire who saw a shop and went, we're buying a toy shop. We're going to start a toy shop called The Entertainer. They are now looking to expand, in fact, not just looking, they are international. So in the 1980s, mid-1980s, they started this shop, humble beginnings. Now they're in all sorts of countries around the world. In fact, recently they opened stores in Azerbaijan uh, and other areas of the Middle East. They are expanding. And they had one particular piece of business ethic that everyone around them said, if you do that, your store will fail. Everyone around them said, there is no way that you can succeed if you follow this. Their one rule, we don't open on a Sunday. Because the two owners that bought the shop, a married couple, they were Christians. And they hard, fast believed that they should not be open on a Sunday. And they were told that they were fools. Sunday is a popular day. You're living in the past. People go shopping on a Sunday now. It's not that taboo. If you close yourself on one of the busiest days of the week, you will not succeed in your business. Well, today they're international. In 2018, they turned over, uh, they saw a 25% increase in their profits which in business terms is huge, absolutely massive, considering their profits are in the hundreds of thousands, probably millions in fact. Huge increase. They still don't open on a Sunday because they hold fast this Christian belief. And I just want you to keep that idea. We're going to come back to the entertainer later, but really the core of a sermon does need to be the Bible. So we'll go to the Bible bit. The parable of the king's ten servants, or the parable of the menace. Interesting one. When Dan said, I want you to preach on Luke chapter 19, and it's the parable of the talents, I went, oh, I know that one. Yeah, that's a classic. That's a, that's, a, that's a Sunday school Bible story. And I started to think about, okay, God, what do, you want me to, what do you want me to preach on? And I kept thinking through this parable of the talents. And then I did the smart thing, and I went, I should probably read the passage I've been asked to, to preach on. That's probably, probably where I should really start. And then I read it and went, in the NIV, the word talent doesn't turn up at all here. Hang on a minute. It's a bit odd. But it's really similar to the parable of the talents. Incredibly similar, but with some big differences. And so I started to do what I do, which is start to do lots of research. Were these the same parable taught from slightly different views? The evidence suggests not, actually. The evidence suggests that this parable is a completely separate parable to the parable of the talents. Very similar in structure, but taught at a different time and with a different focus and a different theme entirely. I could list the differences, but there's no need. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. The video up there, fantastic, really captured that idea. The people were desperate for the kingdom of God to come back. I talked about it last week as well. 
They were desperate to be freed from their oppression from the Romans. They were absolutely desperate. And Jesus tells this parable outside Jerusalem. The next section of this chapter is Jesus riding on the donkey triumphantly into Jerusalem at the start of the Holy Week. That's the next part. He's telling this for a reason. And Jesus completely flips this um, idea in, um, in his triumphant entry in Jerusalem. People are desperate. They're desperate. I cannot get that enough. They were so desperate to be freed from their oppression. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. They're celebrating. The disciples are with him. His followers are with him. He's got people ready to take up arms against their Roman oppressors. Jesus rides down that entrance and he has a choice. He can go in one direction. That will lead him to the palace. If you're going to start an insurrection, that's where you do it. You go to the palace, you kick out the Roman governor, you kick out the king, job done, you started a coup, it's yours. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he turns the other way, complete opposite direction, and he goes towards the temple, leaving his followers I imagine somewhat bamboozled at this. Why is he doing that? Well, fortunately, he gives us a parable just before this moment to explain. He actually pre-warns his followers that this is what's going to happen. Do they pick up on it? Don't know. People of God thought that the kingdom was going to appear at once, so Jesus tells this parable. Jesus makes sure that his parable is grounded in real events. Again, Patrick highlighted it perfectly. There was a ruler at the time. It was Herod Archelaus, I think is the pronunciation. Herod Archelaus. In 3 BC, he had to travel to Rome to petition the Roman emperor to say, I want to rule Judea. It's, it's my right. It's my heritage. My father did this before me in 40 BC. Now, now it's my turn. And he does. He travels to Rome. It's a long journey. And, as is in the parable, the people hated this idea so much, they did not want Archelaus ruling them. So they sent a delegation to Rome to say, uh-uh, no way, we don't want him. We don't want him near us. And a um, little historical tidbit, that actually had a level of success. Um, Archelaus um, did come back and he did have some rulership over Judea, but he was not a king. He was not made a king. He was given a, a lower rank. He still had rulership, but um, there was not as much sovereignty there. And it's really strange when you read this parable, uh, you know, it says here, uh, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to, give him, uh, to have himself appointed king and then return. It explains about his servants. And then it says, the subjects hated him, sent a delegation after him. We don't want this man to be our king. And it kind of just leaves that there. There's no further explanation. Why did Jesus include that in his story? It seems like wasted words. But as we read on, it'll all become clear. So the, the leader in our story... He entrusts 10 servants with 10 minas, and again, as was in the video, um, a minus was equivalent to about three, day, uh, three months' wages, roughly. So um, I did the maths. Uh, today, in the UK, if I gave someone 10 minas, 
I would be giving them about £60,000, roughly, entrusted to them, 60 grand. And I'm thinking, what could I do with 60 grand? Probably buy a house um, would be the first step. 60 grand to 10 servants. Do something with this, look after it, make something of it. And then, similarly to the parable of the talents, we focus on three of the servants. Only three. There are ten in total, but we focus on three. The first one takes the ten minutes, makes ten more, doubles the investment. Well done. Good job. The second one sees a 50% increase. Five minutes. Well done. Good job. And then we come to our third one. Our third one who is so afraid of the master that instead of trying to do something with the money, they bury it, they hide it, they wrap it up. Interesting. Because they could have put it in the bank. Okay, we're scared about losing the money. We're terrified that if we give back less, the master is going to be angry, wrathful and kill us. That sounds pretty reasonable to me, actually. I'd be scared. I'd be scared. I don't know much about investment. I'd be scared to start investing the money in some way to try and double it. But what I could do is I could put it in the bank. If nothing else, that keeps the money safe. Burying it in the ground, what if someone digs it up? What if in this story, instead of the servant going and digging it back up and going, oh, it's there, the servant digs it up and goes, someone's had it, someone's nabbed it. Uh-oh. And now he has to go to the master and say, I've got nothing. And this master's a wrathful, angry master, a scary one. Dangerous ground. Could have put it in the bank. That's pretty quick and simple, but he doesn't even do that. He does nothing at all with it, lays it away in a piece of cloth. In this parable, Jesus is just like the king. Jesus is the master. Take aside the fact that the servant was uh, scared, that the master was wrathful, although God has a wrathful side to him. Jesus is like the master. He goes away for some time to reclaim his kingdom, to get his kingdom back. And it's not an instant thing. It's not a quick thing. That's why Jesus tells this story outside of Jerusalem. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is on its way. I'm telling you. But it's, it's not as soon as you think. I, I, I've got to go for some time. There are things that need to be done. And I will come back to reclaim my kingdom. I will come back to rule. I will, but not as quickly as you think. Just like Herod Archaeus, who had to travel to Rome. Jesus claims his kingdom through his death and resurrection. That's how it happened. Jesus, the Son, comes to earth and becomes a human being completely and utterly human, and also completely and utterly God. A fact that is confusing, that sounds impossible, 
100% human, but also 100% God. That doesn't add up mathematically, but he is. Jesus comes to earth and he dies. God, perfect spotless God, gives his life. But it doesn't end there. He wins the battle over sin and death. And he's resurrected. Hallelujah. When Jesus was resurrected, so much happened. Theologically, so much happened. When Jesus was resurrected, he claimed victory over sin and death. He made it not only that we could be forgiven, but that we could live a life in him and with him, and that we could be fulfilled with him and in him. Powerful, powerful stuff. And in doing that, a lot of commentators, they, they liken it to this, this king who has to travel to another emperor to be given his land. In, in a sense, Jesus is given his sovereignty by God the Father, in a sense. And he's going to come back. He's going to come back one day. We don't know when. We have no idea when. The disciples, after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, they thought it would be soon. They thought it would be within their lifetime, many of them, if not all of them. They thought that it would be decades. Centuries later, the writers thought that it would be during their time. In the Middle, in the, in the middle Ages, they thought it would be in their time. In the medieval times, they thought that Jesus would come again in their time. And today, there are people who say that Jesus will be coming again today, in this age, in this generation. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. No one knows the day or the hour, the Bible says. Not even the sun, Jesus said. Not even the sun knows the day or the hour. It's an interesting thought. But he is coming back. And the reason that he talks about people despising this king is that he knows that people are going to despise him. People are going to reject him. And they do, every day. We've rejected him before we came to find him. Use my microphone. We rejected Jesus before we found him. That's why he talks about this great leader being hated by the people, not wanting him to come back. But Jesus makes the point, and yet he comes back, and he's king. The end of the parable is quite violent. Also a strange part. Here we have Jesus, God's son, the one that we worship and love, uh, a man who is supposed to be a man of peace, a man of love. And here at the end of his story, he talks about the king bringing every single servant, every single person that rejected him and slaughtering them. It's a really difficult image, one that I, I've spent quite a bit of time thinking over. It's a tough one. The point here Jesus is making is there will be people that reject him and those that reject him will face some kind of punishment. It's a difficult truth, but a truth nonetheless. But the focus is on the servants that had something to bring, something to give. I don't want to dwell on that violent end. I want to 
really focus on them to finish off. Jesus is coming again, and he doesn't want us to squander the resources, squander the gifts, squander the fantastic things that he's given us. He wants us to use them. Whether that is finance or talents and abilities, Jesus wants us to be using these, to be employing them for his glory. Now, that might be in direct Christian ministry, but it doesn't have to be. The owners of the entertainer, I'll come back to them again, but the owners of the entertainer, they run a business. They're business people. They're also Christians. But their business is not, it's not Christian business in inverted commas. They're not doing Christian charity work. They're selling toys for kids. But they honor God with those resources. They tithe them as well. They give 10% of everything they earn. They give it away to charity another big part of their Christian ethos. So if it's financially, business owners, contractors, self-employed people, use those gifts that you've been given and use them wisely. Earn money. There's nothing wrong with earning money. A lot of people will be here and say, oh, you've got to make sure you give. Yeah, yeah, give. Do the right thing. But the big thing that Jesus wants, the big thing he's focusing on, is use those gifts and talents that he's given you. Use them in the right way. Use them for his glory. Don't squander them. Don't waste them. If you're fortunate enough to have a business and that business is successful, carry on. Don't give up. Give some money to help out others. Great. Treat your staff with respect and love. Perfect. But run your business. Absolutely run your business. And then we talk about skills and abilities. Everybody has talents. Everybody has uh, uh, unique skills, things that they can bring. I say unique. Sometimes people can do the same things as you. Sometimes they can do them better. I play guitar okay. Richard plays it a lot better. Usually. (laughs) No, Richard does play it a lot better. Does that stop me from playing guitar in church? No. Because God has told me that he wants me to lead worship. God has given me that gift and that talent. And I can stand up here not proud in a sense of look at me high and mighty, remembering my own sermon from last week, but to say that's what God has asked me to do, so I do it. And if I can't play as well as other people, that leads me to do two things. One, practice. Get good at it. Two, do it anyway. Because God's telling me to. If you've got a skill, if you've got an ability, or even if you've got an interest in learning something or doing something, just because there's someone else that can do it and may even be better than you at it, do it anyway, especially if God says go. When God says go, we go. Think about all the times in the Bible that God has spoken to to someone and told them to go and do something. I'm pretty sure most, if not all of them, had excuses. And every single time they gave an excuse, God went, yeah, but this. Moses in the burning bush. 
Moses gave three excuses. I think it's three excuses. He's talking to a burning bush. He's standing on holy ground. And he gives three excuses to the God of the universe as to why he cannot go to Egypt and do what God's telling him to. And every single time God goes, well, I'll do this for you then. Oh, you're worried about that. Oh, you can't speak. Right, I'll get your brother. That's right, you can bring your brother with you if you want. You're going. You're going to do it. When God says go, we go. And then something interesting can happen when we do that. We often see an increase. Now that increase, again, it could be financial. It could be personal satisfaction. Happiness, joy in God, comfort, whatever that looks like. When it comes to skills and talents, we see those talents get better. We see them improve. My guitar playing is a lot better now than it was five years ago, I'll tell you that much. Got a long way to go, but I'll get there, hopefully. I've been playing drums for nearly, gosh, 20 years? There's still more to learn. Every time I play, I learn something new. When we use our skills and our talents in anything, not just in Christian ministry, in anything, we see them improve. That makes sense. When you practice something, you get better at it, generally speaking. Use the skills and talents God has given you, and you will see a return. You will see a reward. I don't know what that reward will be. I can't tell you what it will be, but you will see it. If nothing else, you'll get to stand before God one day and hear those words that I so desperately want to hear. Well done. Well done. I want to hear God say, well done. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear the King of Kings say, you did it. Good work. Thanks. That's what I want to hear. And I pray that that's what you can end up hearing. I pray that that's what you want to hear. So what does this mean for us? It means carry on. Don't be guilty if you're succeeding in business. Don't be guilty at all. Definitely don't be guilty. Give glory and... No, do not tell your dad to be guilty. I saw that. I'm up here watching you. That's my wife, by the way. Um, don't be guilty. Don't, don't squander it. Don't wrap it up and hide it. Use it. Use it for the glory of God. Thank God for it. Be grateful for it. If you've got a talent, but you see other people using that talent, don't sit there and go, oh, they've got this. It's fine. Tell you what, if you go and have a chat with them, you'll probably find that they're desperate for someone else to talk to about it, or even do it with. Use it. See it increase. And see God's kingdom increase. Just like the folks at the entertainer. Their business is flourishing. going to have to wear a different shirt next time. Thank you. Their business is flourishing. Not every business will flourish even if it follows Christian practice. I'm not here to say that if you have faith in God, 
you will definitely see monetary increase because that's a really dangerous gospel to preach. Really dangerous. And I'm not afraid to stand up here today and say that the amount of health and the amount of wealth that you experience in life is directly proportional to your faith. I'm, I'm here to, today to say no way. That's, that's not true. But I am here to say that if whatever you have and whatever you use and whatever you do is for God, you will see some kind of increase. Be that monetary, be that practical, be that in your own personal satisfaction, you will see it. And that may take time. But one day the master's going to come back and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? I want to be there to say, I did this with it. Look what I made, Dad. Hey, Jesus. Look, I did this. Look at it. Look. And Jesus goes, yeah, well done. Good job. That's what I want to see. When God says go, we go. And that can be difficult and it can be exciting. But when God says go, we go. Doesn't matter if someone's got more or is better. When God says go, we go. And then when we go, he's with us. Fantastic. God, the creator of the universe, the one who made everything, is with us when we go. He's with us. Especially with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we have. A gift that was given to us, a helper that was given to us. When we go, he goes with us. And take heart in that, take solace in that. When God says go and we go, God is with us. I'm going to pray, then the band will come and play one more song for us. When God says go, we go. Father God, thank you for your stories, thank you for your word, every single part of it breathed by you and inspired by you, God. Thank you, Lord, that it is as relevant to us today as it was when it was spoken, when it was written, when it was first read by early Christians, God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us resources, talents, wealth, whatever it may be. Thank you for that gracious gift. And thank you that you allow us to use them in any way that, you, any way that we want to, God, with that, that freedom that we have. I pray, Lord, that as we use those gifts, use that finance, use those talents, and we use them in a way that glorifies and honors you, in a way that you would want us to, I pray that we would see that increase. I pray that we would see that satisfaction and happiness in you. And that ultimately we would know that you are with us. We would feel your presence with us when we go. Lord, help us. When you say go, help us to go. To not be afraid. But to step out confidently in you. I pray for everyone here today that you would speak to them. Encourage them and uplift them. Point them in the right direction, God. And that you do the same for me. When you say go, we want to go, Lord, and we, we say that today. We give ourselves to you fresh. Father God, 
When you say go, we go. In your mighty name. Amen.